Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rider Rumblings podcast. Um, I am with, as always, Dr. Murray McCormick, uh, our fine football writer who took one for the team on on Saturday. He <laughs> actually watched the Riders, Riders uh, lose a 54-20 squeaker to the Blue Bombers in person. Um, you seem to be still rather cheerful despite having been, been subjected. I missed a bike ride because of it. You had to... Uh, endure it um what do you make of the state of the team coming out of that one keeping in mind that it is semi-miraculous i suppose that they were even able to feel the team considering how sick everybody was and that's that's the part that i keep going back to is how sick everybody was i still watched that first quarter aware there was there were some issues and we, we still hadn't really been sorted out yet and to see them get what they ran two offensive plays yeah, they, and, they did not throw a pass in the first quarter. I don't think that's happened since there were flying wings. And the, the Bombers had the ball for 13 minutes. They only scored six points, but that's because they missed the convert. I've just and then quickly never, got to 13 early in the second quarter. I've, I've never seen a Ryder team be that inept on offense. I mean, actually, inept's even a strong word because who knows they were on offense? They only had two plays. Like, yeah, well, it just they, was... And then, you know, you and I were talking about You didn't about watch the 79 Rough Riders. <laughs> okay, well, I probably remember them. But... That fine day in Montreal when they had six first downs. That wonderful day when they uh, they um, held the Calgary Stampeders to six points and lost because they scored five points. Wow. So, so they weren't living worse. here at the time, so we'll throw you a mulligan. Okay, they have been worse. But then the Blue Bombers go on to score, and I mentioned this, nine of their ten possessions, and the only possession they didn't score on was a punt. I think they felt sorry for the Riders. And the punt was released with 2.40 left in the third quarter, fourth quarter. Fourth quarter, okay. And I know some people have brought up the fact that maybe the Blue Bombers were running up the score on the Riders. And I, I never thought of that once. They had guys in there that were trying to play. It was almost like an exhibition game by that time. Let them do, run your offense, run what you're going to do. If you think they're running up the score on you, then just stop them once. And they never stopped them once, which still is mind-boggling. Oh, sorry, for the punt. We'll give them the stop for the punt. I'm sorry about that. But it was just Whatever, a what, what, what became of this championship defense? How sick was the defense? We've heard a lot about That's the offensive point. line and how sick the the offensive line linemen were. The uh, uh, Justin McKinnis couldn't play. Keon Schaefer-Baker couldn't play because he was under the weather. So I think it's pretty well documented how sick the uh, offense was. I mean, they were bringing in a backup quarterback the night before, and uh, Jake Hardy was an emergency starter, etc. We haven't heard as much about how the defense was affected. Um but there were was a lot of positions factor for that. I mean, other than other than Jeremy Clark, well, they they made a number of position changes. Uh, Mari Henderson went to uh, who went to corner? Okay, Nelson Lacombo came in corner. I'm trying to remember this off the top. He went. Lacombo went to corner, and then corner. Henderson, Henderson went, went to halfback. Clark was out. Uh, I can't remember who took over for Clark. Mil- um, no, Milligan was already in. Milligan was already in. Adam. This was makes already me in. look Marshall really bad. In. Yeah. This. But it was confusing. Like we got the roster changes a minute before kickoff. It was basically so, Lacombo going filling the spot in the secondary for Clark with Henderson yeah. moving over. Yeah, it was. So they didn't have. That's right. I said they didn't have as many guys that were that we knew were ill. But there were still fifteen guys. And how do we know how they felt on the sideline? Like, can you imagine being on the bus? That what that bus ride was over like with guys supposedly throwing up on the bus ride over too, and then being in that locker room and what it was like with guys battling coming out of both ends. Oh, like I just, I know the, 
we look at the personnel wise, we didn't think the defense was affected, but I think it had to have a huge mental effect on them seeing your teammates being that sick and IVs before a game that you kind of thought was 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 a uh, must win. So I'm willing to give the whole team a mulligan, Rob. They still or lost. Or a milligan. Do you give the deserve a milligan? <laughs> I, I, they still lost. It was still a horrible loss. And uh, But let's let's give them one on this one. And it's, hopefully they come back with a, uh, a better effort against the uh, Elks on Friday and sort of get things set up. You know what, Murr? As bizarre as it might sound, and they've just given up more points than they had since August 3rd, 2000, when they gave up uh, 62 in Montreal. And uh, the the disparity is the largest since they lost fifty three to seven in in uh, in Hamilton in two thousand and sixteen. Chris Jones was a coach then, but I came out of that game thinking there might be a semblance of hope in that the despite all that the special teams played pretty well. Uh, Mary Welford had his third kick return touchdown in only eight games as a rough rider, and uh, and Cody at one point was with fifteen for sixteen, and the only incompletion was a drop. And yet I heard people phoning in on the post game shows complaining about Cody. Like was he was he supposed to catch the one pass that he wasn't that wasn't caught <laughs> exactly. out of the first sixteen? Um, so I think if you look at Cody the last three games, you can say okay that is coming around. It looks like he had hit rock bottom in the in the in the game where he was pulled. But but since then, uh, he's he's I think he's played pretty well. So you can I think you can look at two thirds of that the the uh, the facets of the game for the Rough Riders and say even considering the the circumstances they faced. They performed pretty commendably, and it was the offense. I think that you could say quite safely that was in worse condition than the defense in terms of the illness. But that defense, yeah. my yeah. goodness, they couldn't get what? a stop. They yeah. couldn't get a stop, and we kept thinking, if they get a stop here, that may help the offense get in some field position, let them get rolling. You know, even when they came back when uh, Alfred returned that second half kickoff, there's a glimmer of hope there. I thought a little bit, yeah. You know, maybe they got they come within back. thirty to twenty, and and then boom, it was thirty-seven to twenty before we even knew it. You know, Just, you know what I think a real turning point was there, and it's for the second straight game where they're second and one. And uh, the week earlier against Winnipeg, they tried the pass to Frankie Hickson behind the line of scrimmage. He slips. They lose. You lose yardage. In comes Brett Lother. Uh, a week later, they're second and one. So you, the defense is giving you a yard off the ball. So at the, at the absolute worst, your second and one, you sneak it twice, you're going to get that first down. Instead, they do a handoff out of the shotgun formation to a running back who's, 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 who's starting to play flat-footed by design, and he's trapped for no gain. At, at the very least, it should have been third and half a yard to go. And then you get the sneak on third down. But they do the, the slow-developing running play, and the Rough Riders do not execute that crisply ever. And so suddenly they were, I guess, I guess they were fortunate they didn't lose yardage on that play, but second and one because it comes third and one because they waste a second down. If you're going to run, if you're going to hand off anyway, just do the sneak and get the first down. Yeah. What a ridiculous, unbelievably bad call. And then on third and one, they try the pass and it's and not caught by Kyron Moore, but they blew a second and one for the second consecutive week, just simply because of bad scheming. So yeah, people were sick. But how does how does the sickness absolve fourteen more penalties, and how does the sickness absolve just ridiculous strategy in what should be a gimme situation, second and one for the second well, consecutive week? So yeah, they didn't feel well, but they didn't do themselves any favors once again tactically. 
because there there were Thank healthy you. guys on that roster. That's a good rant, Rob. Way to go. Uh, Thank you. I got another one. I want to go off on the Broncos later on. <laughs> okay, well, there, okay. There was a, there was a, there were healthy guys on the roster who who weren't affected. Like Cody said, he was he felt a little weak. He didn't feel it badly enough. But I still think on the whole team, it impacts you when you're well when you're looking around. Like I know Cody painted a pretty vivid picture of what was going on in there. The the one one that really caught my eye was says, "Well, there's there's only two bathroom stalls." For you know, forty-five guys, who half of them are battling uh, uh, flu symptoms. So I thought that was a pretty descriptive one. But there were he healthy also said, guys. He also that, told you that he it looks like a triage. I know, like with all the IVs and just a, a kudos to the staff and the athletic and the training staff for actually getting a team on the field to do Craig that. Reynolds driving players to Winnipeg so they could play. Hey, I'm driving's easy. You should try flying to Winnipeg on short notice. It's just <laughs> I can't say how Delagala got there from because you, you can't get to Winnipeg from Regina Straits. So you got to go to Calgary, and then Calgary to Winnipeg. And I'll give a little quick We're story. We're more than a hundred years past Orville and Wilbur, and we still can't <laughs> fly from Regina to Winnipeg. We used to be able before Honestly. COVID. There used to be a direct flight. And I'm just going to add a little quick thing. When I flew to Calgary to, uh, back on Sunday, my gate, my plane landed at gate A17, okay? My next flight took off at D71, which literally was almost <laughs> in Canmore. <laughs> so Did I you was, need a flight to get from gate to gate so you can oh. fly out? <laughs> and so I'm hustling along, and then there's uh, one of the TSN camp. You have these little sort of mini shuttle buses that go between all the gates and stuff. And he held the shuttle bus for me so I could get there in time. Also, I had to mention I only had 20 minutes between flight. So they're already starting to board when I was getting off my plane. So it was a, uh, an interesting time doing it again, coming back in uh, in a couple of weeks. Rob, what, what do we think? <laughs> More of a note. What does a six and seven record say about this team? Does it say embarrassing. exactly embarrassing? It's it's embarrassing. Um in in an ordinary year, maybe you could look at all the circumstances and and give you know considering the I mean they've had a COVID outbreak and they know they have a, they've had this and they've had an inordinate number of injuries, but in a year when the Great Cup is to be played in Regina, and when you remember where the bar was set in 2013, and oldsters like me remember how it felt in 1995 when the Riders didn't put a competitive team on the field in a Great Cup year, um, it's nothing short of embarrassing for the organization. Now they have time to fix it, but time is suddenly becoming precious. They've got five, only five games left, and uh, they're in dire peril of finishing with a losing record. And uh, people think that that, or some people think that going through the East in the playoffs is a top dance to the Grey Cup. But last time I checked, the Riders got blown out when they went to Montreal, and they're zero two against Toronto. So where is this preferred path to the East? Um, and no one's uh, done it yet. No, no one's one done, done it yet. It. The Riders have come closer than anybody in 2017, but <laughs> Cody Fajardo kept the Riders out of the Grey Cup. Yeah. So uh, with the one-yard quarterback sneak for Toronto, so uh, I, I, it's, it's embarrassing. It's it's not the book is not closed, but we're getting really close to the epilogue and the acknowledgments, and they've got to do something. And I I look and I don't see reinforcements coming in for the area that has been the biggest liability for the second consecutive year, that being the offensive line. Week after week after week after week after week, they trot out that offensive line, uh, which actually performed surprisingly well last That's week, considering how sick everybody was. And and uh, nothing changes. Where are the NFL cuts? Where's a move to address mm-hmm. the offensive line? And uh, that, uh, to me, might be the ultimately what resonates. Uh, if the writers can't fix it, 
and, and address what's, you know, reverse their fortunes. They've now lost six out of eight, um, including four in a row at home. Mm-hmm. If they can't reverse it, I think the uh, this one is going to be remembered as a year in which Jeremy O'Day, despite making, I think, useful additions in various areas of the team, did not address what was clearly the primary deficiency after the 2021 season. It's still early in the morning. I'm trying to remember their record in 13. What was their record in 13, Rob? They were 11 and 7. Okay, so that's a little. So, do you think this team can get to nine and nine? Well, part of it depends, Mur, on what's at stake for Calgary during the last two games of the year. Suppose mm-hmm. that Cal, I mean, Winnipeg's going to finish first. Uh, yeah. Suppose that BC, the BC continues its descent. Um, for all we know, Calgary may have locked up second place and hosting in the West fi- West semifinal by the time the Riders play those final two games. Yeah. And then I think that that changes uh, what's at stake for the Rough Riders. You know, does, does Calgary uh, put a uh, put its A team out there or do they rest for the playoffs? And uh, if Calgary's assured of second place without any, like any possibility of mobility up or down, then I think that's a different Calgary team than the Riders are facing if there's something at stake for the Stampeders and maybe Calgary's more beatable than they would otherwise be. So, but if you look at it, at face value and say that three of the remaining five games are against the top two teams in the West. Um, that, that really is, I think finishing with a nine and nine record is a tall order. They're they're What's, what's the likelihood of them going to Winnipeg and winning. And uh, if, if they got to try and beat a Calgary team that's right now is eight and four and has lost three times to Winnipeg by a combined 16 points, all of them being a one possession game. And uh, you compare that to, the Rough Riders, I, I don't see a path, all things being equal, to 500 for this football team. I also think Winnipeg agree, just disagree. Needs, yeah, I agree with you. I think Winnipeg's also needs a win to clinch a home playoff game this weekend. I think or an Edmonton loss, so that's another part of the equation that Winnipeg is going to be in the barn, you know, <laughs> before September's out, which is going to be kind of crazy. They'll have so many opportunities to get rested and get healthy and keep winning and all those things. So Winnipeg is not going to be, no one's going to catch Winnipeg. I think we can say that, Rob, safely say that. Yeah. The only safely. fear for Winnipeg is that how long do they, do they lose an edge going, yeah. <laughs> you know, potentially more than a month without playing a game that really matters. Although last year they, they, they had it wrapped up pretty early. It didn't seem to hurt them in the playoffs, but. They're just so good, Rob. I know this, we're supposed to talk about riders, but you can't help but marvel at the culture there, the everything that's in place from, you know, from having sandwiches for the media on the walkthrough day to, uh, you know, the players being treated right, the players wanting to live there. Willie Jefferson, I chatted with him, loves it there. Absolutely loves living in Winnipeg. And it shows in his play. Like, he was a, he was a monster on Saturday again. You know, just Willie Jefferson just dominates things. Like, And he's a player of the week where he had three defensive tackles, two sacks, and I think another tackle for a loss. Just dominated the game. So did Jeff Corden in his own way, but. Do you see but hasn't Winnipeg on? become what the Riders aspire to be? Hasn't Winnipeg become what the Riders used to be? Yeah, I mean they're they're the model franchise in in every every way, and uh, I don't know. I, suddenly, I think the Riders have to look at Winnipeg and how they're doing things. I don't think this is a revelation to say, well, that's where the bar is set. That certainly has been performance wise, but I just I, I think they've got such a rock solid organization there. I, I just. The Rough Riders have long been considered the CFL's flagship franchise, and I think what's happened the last couple of years has really, really altered things. 
and it was amazing there on Saturday. Like, there's always a little sort of debate who's the loudest fans, and, and we don't quite get the full volume at Mosaic Stadium because we're in the aquarium. That's a press box that we can't really hear. But at Winnipeg, you're <laughs> and they never serve the- fish. <laughs> Sorry, but they continue to flounder. Flounder. Sorry. <laughs> All right, uh, just halibut for the halibut. We'll let that one go. Sorry, uh, sorry. Uh, the time. Oh, yeah, the Winnipeg. The windows are open, so you're right out into the crowd, and you can hear the screaming and the noise. And it's just so. Are they the world league's loudest fans? Based on my experience of sitting outside with them, yes. And it was just crowded. It took we kind of took more time to get in. So it's like I've been to a lot of banjo bowls, and it, it hasn't been felt as full. It was full. It was full for this game, and it was a uh, pretty cool atmosphere. So it was a pretty cool atmosphere at Regina for the Labor Day Classic. But, Rob, I'm going to throw, throw this at you because it's been brought up to me a number of times. When do we stop calling it the Banjo Bowl? Is it? I, I think it's – I do it because I think it's kind of cute and it's a good way to differ, differentiate it from the Labor Day Classic and stuff. And it doesn't bother me to be called in, but I know Troy Restwood's tongue was firmly planted in cheek in that, and that was fine. But can we move it on to like uh, Michael Balzi's proponent proposing is the Labor Day rematch and then maybe move it on because this is a, uh, I got a letter from a guy who said that this is insulting. No, I think what, I think what they need to do is, is actually build on it. Um, the Rough Riders ignore it. Um, all you're doing is pumping up the CFL. You're pumping up a rivalry. If uh, suppose you come out and just with indignation defend your fans and say, why are we being disparaged in this matter? We're going to go there and we're going to, uh, um, play El Cabong with the banjos. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, the, the, um, this is, I, I don't think it's a lot different than MMA or boxing where you, where you try and build a little heat in advance of a game. And this is what doesn't happen often enough in the Canadian football league. And as a result, I don't think there's a real, real compelling reason to attend a lot of games because it, it can't just be the football that draws people. I think there has to be some intrigue. For example, the Rough Riders are playing Edmonton this week. Uh, Chris Jones is coaching the Eskimo, uh, part Elks. I do that every time. Yeah. And I never actually fi- fit, get the S out in Eskimos, except there. I always kind of go, Esca, oops. And uh, <laughs> Chris Jones, of course, had, uh, had uh, been rather candid in his critique of Cody Fajardo earlier this year. Why not come out and say something like, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to show Chris Jones you know, this, that, this, that. Why not say something to kind of fuel things, to make, to really compel people to attend this game, to make you think that it's a bit of a grudge match. Even if it's contrived, at least do something to, to yeah. create some intrigue for a game that is otherwise devoid of it. And uh, that's where I think the, 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 the Rough Riders, the league really fall short. You know, John Hodge made a really good point in the three down nation podcast a while back after the whole um nacho gate so well, why didn't the rough riders have nacho night just it's a gift from the heavens yeah. from the marketing heavens and 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 instead it's you know just well, the they same, did a old, little, same old from a marketing perspective they had some nachos being handed out i saw that a little bit from our aquarium but milk the, it absolutely it milk it. what would a minor league, baseball the league finds them done? as soon as but then the league finds them and how do you celebrate something that the league has yeah. deemed that's illegal how do you turn that into something that's a celebration when it was just fun? And pull I think some, I pull some L. Da- pull some pulling L. Davis. You know, I mean, stub your stamp- nose at the league. Because because I spend most of my day flying on Saturday. Didn't the Stampeders jump into that same area too? I think. I don't know if you saw that game. I think I saw a clip. It looked like the Stampeders jumped into the uh, the seating area, which I, I I find it interesting. They have a seating area that close to the field, but that's a whole other 
other thought on things like that. But it just seems to be, I don't know how you promote something that the league is deemed that's illegal. So that's kind of a, an interesting situation, but I, I do agree with well, got it. But it's, it's, an op- it's, an oppor- it's an opportunity loss in a season where there are empty seats and yes. huge blocks of empty seats. And, uh, I, the Rough Riders should be doing everything possible to try and entice people to go to this game. And instead, it's like, well, Edmonton's, Edmonton's here on Friday. They're not very good. The Riders are the home team. They're not very good. good. So where's the compelling anyway. reason to go to that game? Build some heat, and yeah. they don't do it. You, you don't think – come see your 0-4 team at home on a Friday night, and it's going to be a little chilly. Is a good enough market? Yeah, I haven't, won, I haven't <laughs> won a home game in more than two months. And, yeah, come on. Uh, and come here's, on here's Chris Jones. And we have an offensive line that you clo- you can't watch. <laughs> so here goes uh, all the marketing you know, programs. So, I mean, <laughs> it, uh, it, just, it just seems to me that, that a lot more could be done to, 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 you know, not only locally, but in terms of uh, the league as a whole to really – uh, pump some of these rematches and scheduling doesn't help them either for example the riders don't play in ottawa this year exactly. what if the riders had played in ottawa and garrett marino was going back there right yeah <laughs> i mean what a circus that would have been but there would have it would have been a compelling game and uh there just aren't enough compelling games because oftentimes the rough riders just aren't that entertaining and they aren't that uh, they aren't that uh successful in terms of winning at but, least lately but, and that has to be a drag on the gate we kind of thought the way the schedule is set up, it might draw draw some more attraction and more home games, more home interest, because it's West Division teams. And we thought the Riders would be competitive with these West Division teams. It hasn't quite been that way, that the West Division has kind of dominated them. And I don't think you and I expected that. We thought they'd be pretty good. I, like I'm, I'm still surprised at 6-7. and seven. I still think – I thought they'd be better than that. But we always knew the offensive line was going to be an issue, but there's also been offensive issues, and Cody's been – you know, for most of the season, hobbling on his on his bad left knee, and you know it's better now. He had a couple spin moves again. You know, I like the Fajardian spin moves. I like to see some of them. Some one of them. Yeah, didn't one of them was uh, the Bombers looked like they'd read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that didn't look very good, but that was still. You know, so what what do we think with Cody going forward, Rob? I know people. You, I think you and Cody you've. Uh, have a special relationship, a little bromance going there, maybe. But <laughs> well, I really like Cody. I, 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 look, here, here's my second round of the day. Everybody's been on Cody's case all year, right? This offensive line is consistently terrible, and yet everybody blames the quarterback. Okay, how did Aaron Rodgers do this past weekend without protection? Um, he threw his Dak team Prescott. The... Yeah, I mean Dak Prescott before he got hurt. What kind of what what was Dallas doing with with son, with an atypically bad offensive line? Uh, these are two of the you know I think our, you don't think it's really a stretch to say they're two of the top ten quarterbacks in the National Football League. In one case, uh, one of the top five, but no protection. And even Dak Prescott, and Aaron Rodgers can look like Mike Phipps um, <laughs> if they don't have protection. And that's uh, I just think the whole Cody thing is so out of completely out of context and. I think a lot of the same people who are criticizing Cody would be the first people who would probably malign him or he to decide next year to sign somewhere else. And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it has to be a Darian Durant situation. Is, is Darian won a great cup here in 2013. Uh, in 2014, he got hurt 10 games into the year. Only after he got hurt, I think, were the, was the uh, consequence of not having Darian evident. Because that 2014 season, right down the tubes. 2015, Darian gets hurt opening day, 3-15 and record. Only in his absence, I think, was it truly apparent to everybody what a, uh, a stalwart he was. Maybe Cody has to 
not be here for people to realize what they're missing. And it would be really sad if it came to that. But that's what's happening. And if, uh, if, if a lot of these so-called experts uh, continue to create heat for, a, I, think, I think, a very good quarterback, despite what people are saying, and an exceptional person, and it drives him out of town, again, what, what kind of fan base is this? So here's a question I had thrown at me on the radio the other day, and I wasn't prepared for it, and my answer didn't, I wasn't very unhappy. It was, where does Cody rank amongst the current crop of CFL quarterbacks? Where would you put him? And I know it's, and I know, and you're thinking, I'll give you, I'll I'll talk while you think a little bit here, because I I mean, it's, I I felt it was kind of unfair. If if Nathan Rourke is healthy, well, that is, that is one. Um, you know, Zach Kalaros playing the way he has. Great. But you know what? I, Two. If you put Cody Fajardo behind Winnipeg's offensive line, I think you're looking at a different quarterback. Like, that's the thing. It's not just – you're not looking at every quarter – you're not looking at every quarterback in isolation. You're mm-hmm. looking at the quarterback – you have to look at the quarterbacks and consider what's around them. I remember Tom Clements in, in, in 1979 behind a bad offensive line in seven games of the Rough Riders. He threw two touchdown passes and 11 interceptions. Before he came to Saskatchewan in 1979, the previous three seasons with Ottawa, he looked like a Hall of Famer, won a great cup. As soon as he was traded, mercifully traded away from, from the Rough Riders after seven games in 1979, he went to Hamilton, resumed playing like a Hall of Famer, went to Winnipeg, eventually became a Hall of Famer. But without protection, Tom Clements looked like Tom Rosance, and that was, that was the, the situation. So I think you have to look at the, the, the context. Uh, um, Again, with a, without a without with a with a receiving core that's been substandard for most of the year, with strategy that's questionable, and with an offensive line that is a is a uh, an unaddressed sieve, how can you really you know make a compelling case that Cody Fajardo is 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 a is a lower tier quarterback when he had a lot of the, those factors in his favor in mm-hmm. 2019? He was named the most outstanding player in the in the West Division uh, and a CFL All Star. How many how many Rough Rider quarterbacks have been named a CFL All Star since Ron Lancaster in 1976? Well, there's Ken Austin in 1990, and there's Kerry Joseph in 2007, and then there's Cody Fajardo in 2019. Very short list. So, are we to just completely pretend that 2019 didn't exist? Are we are we to look at Cody Fajardo completely out of context? I think that's what's being done. Nathan Rourke will probably be in the National Football League next year. He's an absolute exceptional player, and I. Loved watching him play, and it was horrible to see him get hurt. Zach Kalaros, tons of respect. He proved yeah. me as wrong as I've ever been in my life. Um, but look at the look at the people in front of Zach Kalaros, and look what's in front of Cody Fajardo. And it, it's it's not an all things being equal situation. I would put Cody after a healthy Rourke and Kalaros next top of the next tier. Ahead of Meyer, Jake Meyer. There's a very short sample of work. How did Cody yeah. Fajardo? How did Cody Fajardo look after an equivalent number of starts in the Canadian Football League? The same number of starts that Jake Mayer had. Well, guess what? People were talking about Cody Fajardo as this corn dog eating phenom, this tonic, mm-hmm. this breath of fresh air, this 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 uh, overnight success story that ended up guiding the Riders to a 13 and five record. There isn't the same body of work with with Jake Mayer. There isn't the uh, the same amount of film. The defensive coordinators don't have the goods on him to the extent that uh, that um, that they do on Cody Fajardo. So again, 
how do you look at Jake Mayer with a with a comparatively scant number of starts compared to Cody Fajardo, who's now in his third year as a starter, and each year he's been the starter here, the receiving core has gotten worse, and the offensive line has gotten worse. Again, yeah. the, 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 it's, the context is completely gone in this discussion. That's what rankles me. I can tell you. Evidently. No, it's just so completely ridiculous. Well, and it, in the bottom line, is <sighs> we've seen what, what Jake Dalagala could do after that game a little bit in garbage time. He's really all they've got. That's another thing I tell people. People used to Durant, rant about Durant. I'd say, somewhere, they got anything better? This is what you got. He's your best player. And then 13. Yeah, Keno Sinceri, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so how does Cody get people behind him? I guess he's, does he have to play well, a little I, better? What can he do? No, his I mean, is he, is he to, he completed 15 out of 18 yeah. with a, with a makeshift receiving core and an ailing offensive line last week. So what's he supposed to do? Apologize for the three incompletions, one of which was a drop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the week before, yeah, he threw an interception. They should have run the ball on that play anyway. Uh, and, and the week before that, that was a game in BC where he threw for more than 300 yards against a defense that uh, at that point at least was considered to be one of the CFL's best yeah. and one that had forced him to the sideline the week before. So if you look at Cody Fajardo the last three games, he's not their problem. They've no, got a bucket full of problems quite literally after the, uh, the, the banjo bowl or the bucket bowl last week. <laughs> Cody Fajardo is not one of their problems. It's it's the inability to build around Cody Fajardo that is completely um, impeding this 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 football team right now. You know, you know I just just mentioned Nathan Rourke. What I preach about Nathan Rourke is the more film coordinators gathered on him, the better he got. Like he they they tried to find ways to stop him, and so only way they could stop him was being hurt. But that's what I like yeah, about Nathan it, Rourke. He just kept getting better and better with with defenses knowing what they're going to do against him, and he just kept improving. And he was. It's a big. That was a big. It's still a big loss for the CFL that he got hurt, and uh, I hope he stays another year, a whole healthy year. We get to see what this young guy does. But I think, like you, the NFL is going to come calling. But it also depends on how bad the foot injury is. You know how facts can. We've got to give Sarah Orleski a shout out. Um, We do. I was going to tell you um, that she's um, uh, as terrific as she is as a broadcaster. uh, She is even better as a person. And that's hard to do, believe me. But uh, we saw last week in the telecast the the, uh, the appreciation that uh, the due appreciation that Sarah received from the Bombers, everybody. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that ourselves. And as a Winnipeg Jets fan, I'm glad she's going to Canada's team. But mm-hmm. uh, um, I mean, Sarah Olerski is an example of how to do the. I mean, honestly, you watch the sideline reporters in the National Football League; none of them's even close to Sarah Olerski. Sarah Olerski. Yeah. Uh, and if you look, listen, listen to questions that are asked of athletes, and so many of them are absolutely ridiculous, and I've asked my share. You listen to Sarah Orleski's questions, they're succinct, they are perfectly phrased, and they are always topical. She's, she conducts a master class every time she interviews anybody on how to do it. It's none of this talk about nonsense. So as, in terms of what she does, in terms of how she does it, in terms of who she is, uh, the, the Canadian Football League... Uh, was very lucky to have Sarah Oleski involved with it for the number of years that she was, and uh, she will definitely be missed. And Britt Dort's going to do a great job whenever Britt Dort is called upon to be a sideline reporter. Uh, Sarah is also a loyal follower of our podcast. I found out the other day. Oh my day goodness, we have one. She, she. Uh, Hi, I, don't, I don't know if we can bring up what we didn't have, but we uh, didn't have a podcast last week due to the events up north, and rightfully so, our staff was doing an amazing job covering what happened at. Uh, 
with the stabbings and stuff. So we couldn't have a writer, but she kept checking. She kept checking and wondering when we're going to post it. So we do have some loyal followers up there and she was among her at best. And I know I always tell this one story and what the heck it's my, our podcast. I remember walking or driving to a, a player availability at old mosaic stadium. And I'm watching this woman go down the sidewalk with a suitcase behind her, this blonde woman in back then it's kind of a sketchy neighborhood. And I thought, well, what's this woman doing walking around Mosaic saying, I'll be at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's not exactly one of the worst times. And I just remember noticing that. And then when I, I get into the player ability, I meet Sarah and realize that she was doing. And I just thought it still stands out. I can picture this blonde hair carrying, dragging her suitcase behind her as she's off to do the player availability. Uh, a great person, great person for this event. We're sad to lose her. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what Britt can do too on the sideline. I saw a little bit of her on the weekend. And, uh, Big step. We've had some pretty big women come through. Claire Hanna was another one. She was solid in the sideline stuff and has gone on to do amazing things within Ottawa and the Olympics and whatnot. So there's uh, these women are inspirational oh, yeah. to other women. I think we have to uh, we have to acknowledge that and we have to celebrate that too because women are great in sports. I think they really contribute. That's uh, we've got to sign off here now. Um, so how's that for an awkward segue? But I've yeah. got a meeting coming up. So. Uh, I've got to read this or I will not be invited to any future meetings. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five-star rating. It helps us grow the podcast. My dog is now trying to crash the podcast. Isn't she cute? That's Candy. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you or Candy get your podcast. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email me at rvanstone at postmedia.com. We'll read it on the show. You can follow me, Rob, on Twitter at Rob Vanstone or Murray on Twitter at Murray LP. Why are you pawing at me? Pawing at me, Candy. She's being ignored and she wants attention. Uh, so, Riders versus Edmonton, Friday, 7.30 p.m. Football weekend in Saskatchewan. Thunder versus Hilltops, 1 p.m. Mosaic Stadium. 7 p.m. Rams and Huskies, Mosaic Stadium. What a terrific weekend for, for uh, football right. in, in Saskatchewan. I hope everybody gets out and, and enjoys enjoys it completely. Rams and Huskies, two two and old teams. Remember how crazy you'd be going down in the states if that was that kind of hype? But it's going to be yeah. uh, crazy. And so the the Thunder in this hilltops, another good. This is a Rams team that was uh, last in the coaches' poll. Yes, exactly. So, what a what the shows shows how valid. And then a bye week. People, people criticize the media for being off base. How about those Canada West coaches? For Murray McCormick <laughs> and Rob Vanstone, the latter of whom is off base. Thank you for so much for uh, joining us, and we will, I promise you do this again next week. Uh, Take care and thanks for being with us.